Hello and welcome to the 12th scroll of Maester's Whispers, where we drink and we know things. I'm Olivia. And I'm Chris. And today we will be discussing the similarities and differences between the book and the 8th episode of the TV show, The Pointy End. We have watched the episode just now and we're going to go through it scene by scene and break it down for you and then tell you all the differences that we noticed. Um, we are also going to be pulling from the, the Game of Thrones wiki for this. Um, and I will link those pages uh, with our episode. So let's begin with a summary of the episode. In the aftermath of Ned's capture, Sirio, Sirio and Arya face off against Lannister guards while Cersei manipulates Sansa to her own ends. Rob rallies his father's northern allies against Tywin Lannister and heads south to the war. Tyrion forms an uneasy alliance with the Hill tribes and reunites with his father. Jon lashes out at Thorn and battles a mysterious attacker from beyond the wall. Danny is forced to reconcile her desire to conquer Westeros with Drogo's savagery after the Dothraki raid a peaceful village. All right, and then just some facts about the episode. It was directed by Daniel Minahan. Um, he has directed several episodes of the HBO original series, Six Feet Underground, Deadwood, True Blood, The Newsroom, and Game of Thrones. Also, The L Word on Showtime and a few episodes of Grey's Anatomy. Hmm. Um, he also wrote and directed the independent film Series 7, The Contenders. The episode was written by George R. R. Martin. Uh, it aired June 5th, 2011, and most of the filming was in Belfast and Malta. And I guess Belfast is the Westeros and Malta would be the Dothraki. Yeah. So the first scene, Christopher... Is in King's Landing. Uh... The Lannister soldiers uh, complete their purge of the Stark guards and household staff. Sansa and Septimore Dane hear sounds of fighting when they are confronted by Lannister guardsmen led by Sandor Clegane. Septimore Dane tells Sansa to run and lock herself in her room while she, uh, while she stays to comfort her. Confront them, sorry. However, uh, Sandor later finds and takes Sansa into custody. More Lannister guardsmen, this time led by Sir Marin. Marin Trent of the Kingsguard interrupt a water dancing lesson between Sirio and Arya. Sirio holds Arya back, questioning why Lord Eddard would send Lannister men to find Arya. She then refuses to go with them, and when they try to force the issue, Sirio disarms and disables all the lightly armored guardsmen with his wooden practice sword. He tells Arya to run as he faces down Trent. Nothing Nothing that for himself, the first sword of Bravos, does not run. Sirio's late, Sirio's fate after that uh, is unclear. They don't actually show what happens. But the differences that we see is in the TV series, Septimordane tells Sansa to go and lock herself in the room while she goes to confront the Lannister guardsmen coming down the hall. In the book, Sansa and Septimordane are not together when the massacre occurs. Sansa is distraught with her father breaking her engagement and sending her back to Winterfell, uh, and she goes to Cersei to talk to her about it and change his mind, hopefully. Uh, this causes Cersei to accelerate the plans to prevent her leaving um, and kind of accelerate Cersei's plans. Cersei has the Kingsguard take Sansa to, to the Tower Room and imprison her there 
immediately afterwards before the massacre takes place. And then that's the room also where um, Jane Poole is being held. Right. So that's where Sansa is taken. That's a big, taken. big difference there. Because we don't actually, we don't see, actually Jane see Jane Poole. Yeah. No. Um, the soldiers that fight Ciro in the book are more lightly armored, and Ciro with a wooden sword does not does far greater damage to them, killing them with stabs through the neck and eyes, where in the series... He merely disarms them and kind of knocks them out. And yeah, like we we just saw, they're very heavily armored. Yeah. So you're telling me that he took out all of them with a wooden stick, basically. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, there are several scenes showing the Lannisters' massacre of the Stark people. Um, Van Poole is killed. Sansa gets captured by the Hound, and Septim Ordain t- makes a stand. The book describes only the aftermath through Arya's eyes, where we actually get to see it in the forefront. Yeah. All right, so the next scene, also in King's Landing, Arya runs to the stables where the men waiting with their baggage were supposed to be to take them to the ship for Winterfell. The men are dead, but she finds her real sword needle in the bottom of her trunk. Arya then starts to leave the stables. Um, Arya knows how to get out of the Red Keep via the tunnel underneath the castle that she found when she was chasing cats and followed the two conspirators. Mm-hmm. When a stable boy tries to grab her, Arya turns around brandishing needle and accidentally runs him through and kills him and kills him. Horrified, she flees. So the only difference that we found in this one is that um, Arya's stable boy killing looks more like an accident in the TV series, whereas in the book it uh, was more like she kind of yeah. turned around and he like ran into it. In the in the TV in series. The TV. In the book it was more like I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next scene is uh, Varys visits Eddard in the cell, which we just talked about this in one of our latest episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's incredulous that Eddard warned Cersei um, that he was going, what he was going to do to Eddard. Mm-hmm. Eddard says he wanted to extend mercy to Cersei's children, uh, whom Robert would have killed if he'd known the truth. Varys bluntly tells Eddard that his mercy is what killed King Robert. To Eddard shame, Varys then tells him that Catelyn also no longer holds Tyrion, you know, doesn't have the key, um, as prisoner, meaning that the Starks have nothing to barter for Eddard's life. When Eddard suggests that they would just kill him, Varys says, not today, my lord. As he departs, Eddard asks Varys who he truly serves, and Varys, in rare display of honesty, replies, the realm. Someone has to. Mm -hmm. Someone must. Uh, the differences that we see is in the book, Varys visits the imprisoned Ned only once in the show. The scene is divided into two parts. The first part is in the episode, and the second part is in the following episode, Baylor. Mm-hmm. So, in the book, Varys reveals to Ned that, in any case, sooner or later, Cersei would have made her move to dispose of Robert because he was becoming unruly, and she needs to get rid of him in order to free her hand to deal with Renly and Stannis. Now, another difference I kind of noticed, some of the things that were kind of left out in that exchange as well, even if they, you know, they break this up into two parts, Mm -hmm. but even that initial exchange, he's talking about, you know, in the book, questioning the Lannister boy who had the wine, and because Varys says in the show, it wasn't the wine that killed him, it wasn't the boar that killed him, it was your mercy, right? Mm -hmm. That's straight out of the book, but in, in the book, they said, you know, have you questioned the Lannister boy and, and where he got the wine from? And then they, you know, kind of mm-hmm. circle back to, oh, Cersei gave him the wine and said it was his favorite. That wasn't in the show at all. Yeah, true. To kind of hint that Cersei 
killed Robert Very indirectly. True. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The next scene, we are at the wall in the north. John and Sam return to Castle Black with their party and two dead bodies in tow. The corpses are identified as members of Benjamin Stark's missing ranging party, Jafer Flowers and Othor. Uh, though they have been dead for some time, Sam notes that the bodies do not smell like they have been rotting. John and several other sworn brothers urge Lord Commander Jor Mormont to burn the bodies, but he refuses, wanting Maester Aemon to examine them first. Mm-hmm. So the differences that we see between the show and the book... First, Sam and more of the attending brothers have several more observations to make about the dead rangers in the books in addition to the lack of smell. So first, the dogs and horses fearfully stay away from the corpses. Second, the blood of the corpses has totally dried. Third, although the corpses have been laying for days in the open, no scavengers or maggots have touched them. Hmm. Number four, their clothes are bloodstained, but there is no bloodstains on the ground near them, despite the severity of their injuries. Which we didn't see because they were being dragged to Castle Black on like a sled. Right. In the show. That wasn't even in the show. Yep. Or that was in the show, not in the book. <clears throat> Othor and Jafer's eye color is blue, although they did not have blue eyes in their lives. Othor's body wears a hunting horn, but the rangers heard no horn blast. They weren't blue in the show. That's what it says. No, I mean in the show, not a litten initially. When they're laying on the thing, I noticed that their eyes were not blue yet. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Um, the next difference we saw is the two corpses are closely examined by Mormont, Jeremy Riker, and more watch members at the place where ghosts found them. Only afterwards, they are taken to Castle Black. So, in the show... They're at Castle. They're being taken to Castle Black. Basically. Yeah, but like in the book, when they're initially found, there's more people examining them. Right. The next difference is that Othel Yarwick is not amongst the brothers who examined the corpses. It is not him, but the ranger Dywin who smells the corpses. Wait, I thought there wasn't a stench. Who doesn't smell them? Whatever. There's no. <laughs> yeah. It is not Sam, but Riker who notices that the corpse do not stink. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, the next one is we're at the wall. Um, John is summoned to Mormont's chambers as news has arrived of Eddard's arrest and imprisonment. When John asks to for the news of his father, Mormont tells John that he's been arrested for treason. John is in disbelief, and Mormont gives John the letter to read for himself. Devastated John then attempts to leave before Mormont tells him that he is to do nothing stupid and reminds him that his oath... It was sworn to the Night's Watch. His oath is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when John expresses concern for his sisters, Mormont replies that he's sure they are unharmed. Basically, you can tell he's like he's, he's lying. Yeah. Yeah. But differences in that, they, they pretty much do that word for word. Yeah. No differences found. All right. Next scene, we're in King's Landing now. Cersei and the remainder of the small council, uh, which is Grandmaster Pycelle, Varys, and Littlefinger, summons Sansa to inform her that her father has been arrested for treason. They then manipulate Sansa into writing a letter to her brother Rob, asking him to bend the knee to Joffrey. They add that Eddard's fate may depend on what uh, Rob says and the other northern lords do. Sansa then agrees to write the letter. Mm -hmm. And there were no differences that we found in that one. Yep, pretty much spot on. Yep. 
the next one is the north where we're going to be. So this is when Rob receives a letter from Sansa uh, in King's Landing asking him to pledge fealty to King Joffrey. Maester Lewin correctly deduces the letter is actually the work of the queen, um, and Rob refuses to consider the request and sends out ravens summoning the Lord Bannerman to the north and their armies to assemble at Winterfell. Um, And at the end of the scene, kind of cool, kind of powerful, is all the ravens fill the sky. I think that's kind of a a powerful scene. Mm -hmm. Um, All the Bannermen. Uh, no differences in that one as well. So that one, uh, pretty much spot on. I wonder why, because it was written by George R. R. Martin. So. Yeah, true. So next place, we are at the Eerie. So at the Eerie, Catelyn is furious with Liza for a couple different reasons. So first, Liza didn't immediately tell her about Eddard's arrest, even though she received a letter that morning. And second, she refused to consider summoning the Knights of the Vale to the war. Liza, despite her actions of setting this in motion by implicating the Lannisters in John Aaron's death, does not believe that war is in the Vale's best interest. Liza wants the king, the knights, to stay in the Vale to protect her son and their lord. So um, we found a few differences in this one. So first, in the book, there's no message about Ned's arrest that is sent to the Eyrie. Lord Manderley tells that to Catelyn when she arrives at White Harbor on her way back from the Vale. Yeah, they kind of left out in the show that entire White Harbor bit. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. It's just not in there yeah. at all. There's no boat. There's no exactly. nothing. There's no... Uh, she just arrives there. What, what's his face? What, who's her, her guard? Yeah, the one that was, like, getting sick yeah, on the boat. There's no yeah. seasick. You know, you don't get to see a weakness from him. Yeah. That this doesn't exist in yeah. the show. Yeah, so she actually doesn't even find out from Lysa, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Um, second, in the book, a message is sent to the Eerie, but it is not about Ned. It's a it's from Edmure, informing that Jamie is massing troops at Casterly Rock, and that Edmure commanded Lord Vance and Lord Piper to guard the pass below the Golden Tooth. In the book, there's no conversation between Catelyn and Lysa about Ned and the imminent war, because there was never a letter sent there, yeah. so that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. In the book, Catelyn offers Lysa to take her son to be fostered at Winterfell for a few years. And Lysa responds, if you try to steal my son, you will leave by the moon door. That does not happen in the show. Nope. At all. Then the last one, Lord Jan Royce, not Catelyn, demands that the Knights of the Vale join the Stark's host, but Lysa refuses. So in the show, Catelyn's the one that asks it. Yep. Yep. Uh, the next is the Mountains of the Moon. So in this scene, we have Tyrion and Bronn have reached the west edge of the Vale um, and are summoned by members surrounded. of... Are surrounded. Sorry, not summoned. Uh, <laughs> surrounded by members of the Hills tribes, uh, led by a fearsome warrior named Shaga. At first, he orders them to be killed, but Tyrion does some fast talking and convinces the Hill tribes that House Lannister is an enemy of the House Aaron and its rulers. So, we have a common enemy. Yeah. Uh, he proposed an alliance which will allow the tribes to enact vengeance against House Aaron and take ownership of the lands uh, of the Vale. The, they eagerly agree and escort Tyrion and Bronn westwards toward where the Lannister armies are gathering. Major differences we have here is, number one, when making their way through the mountains, Tyrion tells Bronn about his first wife, Tysha. Uh, This does not happen in the TV series until they reach Tywin's actual camp. 
Bronn asks Tyrion how he knew that he would champion for him, and Tyrion says that he didn't, but anticipated that as a sellsword, Bronn would do it for gold. The reason he originally helped escort Tyrion to the Eyrie was in the hope of reward from Catelyn Stark. Uh, in the book, at least, a dozen clansmen encounter Tyrion and Bronn and report their names. The first is Gunther, son of G- Goom, Gurn, Gurn. Uh, the chief of the Stone Crows, and that is him that speaks the TV series line of Shaga. When you meet your gods, say it was Gunther, son of Gorn, of the Stone Crows, who sent you to them. But in the show, it's Shaga that actually says it. Mm-hmm. Um, Shaga, son of Dolph. Um, Gunther is not identified in the TV series, only his name is mentioned at, in Baylor. So the, Which next, is the next episode. episode. Yeah. Yep. The clansmen ambush Tyrion uh, and and Bronn because Bronn captures a goat for food, which they claim to be theirs. Our mountain, our goat. So in the show, yeah, that uh, they just... That doesn't they, happen because Tyrion just goes, please. Help come, yourself to our goat. Help yourself to our goat. And it, they could have easily just added, like, that's our goat. Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't. Um, and in the book, when Tyrion teases the stone crows for their cowardice, it is not Shaga, but another clansman, Jagat, who injures him using a spear. Shaga roars and threatens to harm Tyrion, but Gunther silences him and lets Tyrion keep talking. So that's a huge difference. So it sounds like they kind of just made Shaga the main clansman for the show. Uh, The next scene, we're at the wall again. So Elisir Thorne taunts Jon that his father is a traitor, calling him not just a bastard, but a traitor's bastard. John angrily charges at him with a knife, and Thorne is only saved by Gren and Pip, who hold John back. Um, Commander Mormont witnesses the incident and confines John to quarters for his trouble. That night, John is roused by a whining ghost scratching at the door. Sensing trouble, John and his direwolf head to the Lord Commander's chambers, where John is conf- confronted by a white, the reanimated corpse of the dead Night's Watchman. Though John is able to stab the white through the chest with his sword, the white simply removes the sword and is unharmed. Mormont appears, seeking out the com- commotion. John grabs Mormont's oil lamp and throws it at the white, finally destroying it. Yeah, some big differences here. Yeah. So first difference we see um, when John enters the common hall after hearing the news about his father, there's no awkward silence as shown in the um, in the show. In the show. Instead, John's friends encourage him and assure him that they know the allegations against Ned are all lies. And, like, I feel like in the show they made it seem like everyone was like, your father is a traitor. Yeah, it it almost looked like they wouldn't even want to talk about it. They didn't want to, like, support him. While John is on his way to the Lord Commander's quarters, he finds the body of a guard who was killed by Othor the White. His head had been twisted completely around. Nobody. Yeah, we didn't see that in the show. And then when John cuts off the white's hand, the severed limb does not simply drop to the floor, but keeps fighting independently. It grabs John's calf, and John barely manages to pry it off. Nope, it just falls to the floor. In the book, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. or in the show. No, in the book. No, in the show, it just fell to the floor. In the book, it attacks him. Oh, you're right, you're right, sorry. In the show, John kills the white by throwing a lantern at it, severely burns his arm while doing so. It heals painfully, and he is left with very bad scars. In the book, John throws burning curtains over the white. So. No curtains, just a lamp. Yep. 
Uh, our next scene travel all the way to the south. Um, Essos, to actually. Lazar uh, in Essos. Yeah, it's in Essos. East. Yeah. Travel all the way east. Um, in Essos, Caldrogo, having taken an oath to take the Iron Throne, has begun his march of conquest of the Narrow Sea. The Dothraki raid a village in Lazar, uh, a peaceful country to the southeast of Vase Dothrak, to finance the war to come. They must raid villages and take people to sell into slavery, thereby gaining the money to hire the ships for the Kalazar to assault Westeros. Sir Jorah and others try to explain this to Daenerys, but she is disturbed to see the aftermath. The Dothraki killing the villagers and raping their women, and orders it to stop. The Dothraki grow angry, and not being able to take the spoils of the victory, as that is the Dothraki way. She starts claiming all the women they see. Uh, she starts seeing, claiming all the women that they see to protect them from their fate. The angry warriors take their complaints to Cal Drogo, but he is amused at his wife's fierceness now. He tells them that da- Daenerys may keep the women as she claimed. She can find others, or they can just find others. When man won't listen, uh, when one man won't listen, uh, and angrily accuses Drogo of his slave. Of being a slave to a foreign whore. Mm-hmm. Doesn't end well for him in the book, or in the show. Uh, the Lazarine girl, Erohe, Ero? Eroe, I think? Eroe? Yeah. Who is the first one Daenerys saves and who then becomes devoted to her is absent from the book. Um, yep. In the series, Danny is shown rescuing many women, primarily Miri Mazdur. In the book, uh, Mago does not speak directly to Drogo. He complains about Daenerys to Hago, and the latter tells that to Drogo. Drogo. So, yeah, so in the book, it seems like Hago is the one that brings the complaints to Drogo, right. and it's not Mago that directly tells him, right. like in the show. After his claims is verbally denied, Mago does not challenge Drogo's authority, but there is no subsequent fight between them. Mogo, Mago, uh, shows, uh, shown still alive in a later chapter. The duel, um... So the duel yeah, that the we saw, added, like, yep. when he grabbed, when he, like, cut his throat and then grabbed his tongue out of his throat in the show, yeah. that was actually added to the series, because the actor that played Jason Momoa, uh, believed that we, as the audience, hadn't seen Cal Drogo's, like, combative, um, strength. Prowess. A lot in the show, so he wanted to add something to show how fierce of a warrior he actually was. So that's why that scene was added in there. Yeah, Drogo is injured in an off-screen battle against a rival Kalazar uh, in the book, led by Cal Ogo. Um, it is not Mago that injures him, like in the show, but a blood rider of Cal Ogo. The wound that Miri Mazar Dur infects was worse than that one shown in the series, which was superficial. Mm-hmm. The one in the series was just a cut. So now we are traveling back to the north. And in this scene, there's no differences. So I'm just going to read the summary of the scene. At Winterfell, Rob holds a feast for several of his newly arrived bannermen. Great John Umber assumes that he will lead the vanguard and is offended by the suggestion that he would be made to march behind a glover, threatening to withdraw from the host. In response, Rob promises that after the conflict with the Lannisters, he will oust Great John from his keep and hang him for breaking his oath to House Stark. When the enraged bannerman goes to draw a weapon, 
Rob's direwolf, Greywind, sets upon him, biting off two of his fingers. And he kind of takes that like a G because... That's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> we were laughing at it because he just... It just shows how tough the Northmen are. Mm-hmm. Just takes two two fingers and just laughs about it. It's like, those. that's pretty hard. Yeah. Rob recites that it is death to bear steel against your liege lord, but then diffuses the situation by excusing Great John's aggression, saying that, doubtless, the Great John only meant to cut my meat for me. The Great John roars with laughter and accepts Rob's commands, much to the shock of Bran, who witnessed the entire incident. Rob says farewell to Bran and to Rickon, who is convinced he'll see neither Rob nor his parents again. I don't know if they show that scene in... That yeah. might be the difference. They show, no. You showed him saying goodbye to them? Yep. Yep. Okay. He went and said goodbye to them. Oh, yeah. Brothers. That's right. Yep. It's a separate scene, but he's... Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the same. Place. It's kind of cut up in the book, in the show. Yeah. Brand's in, in bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the book, it's... Yeah. Our next scene is in the north. Uh, Bran prays by the heart tree, where he's approached by Osha, who tells him that the old gods of the forest are listening to him, and that the wildlings also worship the old gods. She laments that the South has lost touch with that past, and the southern weirwoods were cut down years ago, and the southerners have no idea what's awakening in the north. Um, She said that basically the gods see through the trees, and because the trees are gone, they can't see anything. Um, They are interrupted. (coughs) They are interrupted by Hodor, who was bathing and had forgotten to put his clothes back on. And Osha remarks that he might have giant blood in him before Bran sends him away. Curious, Bran asks her if giants live beyond the walls, and she affirms that they do, as well as many other beings, though not all of them are friendly. She asserts that the army Rob has gathered should be marching north, not south. I think she knows a little more than... Oh, she's seen what's behind the wall. Yes. So next scene, we're back at the wall. And the summary of the scene, the morning after the two white bodies have been thoroughly burned, Sam says he read in a book that the dead are animated by the touch of the white walkers and only fire can destroy such creatures. Very important moving forward. Mm -hmm. He hopes the wall is big enough to hold them back when the walkers come in force. So the only difference is that it happens um, much later on in the novels that Sam reads books about the others and tells John the information he found. So, realistically, how the book is supposed to go is that Sam is not supposed to know any of this right now. Yeah, he didn't just find a book and yeah. was like, yeah, I know everything now. Right, exactly. Uh, where in the show, he's like, I know things. Right. Yeah, he's just now learning. Uh, our next scene is in the north. Uh, there's no differences in that scene, right? No, I just said the, the difference. Oh, that was the difference, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Uh, the North is where our next scene takes place. Catelyn and Sir Roderick Cassell intercept Rob's army in the neck as it presses southwards. Rob initially claim, exclaims with excitement upon seeing his mother, but stops short of embarrassing himself, embracing her to embarrass himself, <laughs> um, lest he be weak in front of his bannerman. Catelyn looks at her son with understanding, later embracing once their liege lords have left their tent. She tells Rob she has no choice but to go to war. Uh, that he has no choice but to go to war. That they, they have no choice but to go to war. However, he cannot lose. For the sake of Ned, Sansa, and Arya, as if he's, as if he is defeated, 
Tywin Lannister will show their family no mercy. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, differences is that we see is in the book when Catelyn and Sir Roderick leave the Vale, Brendan Tully joins them. So there's no Brendan Tully in the show mm-hmm. um, right there. Uh, in the book, when Catelyn arrives at Rob's camp, she is escorted by her uncle and Lord Manderly's son. She sent Roderick earlier to Winterfell to serve as the Castellan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but he's there actually helping out with the with the battle plans and mm-hmm. stuff. So that is, yeah, that is a big difference. Roderick didn't go back, and also they didn't come on a boat. Yeah, that whole boat thing still the is whole just boat. gone. Because in, in literally in the show, it seems like, and this is kind of a problem I had when watching it, mm-hmm. it seemed like, um, I mean, you know the passage of time in the show is all relative, mm-hmm. but it literally seems like no time has passed between when Catelyn left the Vale and now she's with Rob. Yeah, it was like, it was cut, like, cut, cut. Yeah, it was like there's, but you know that there's tons of time in between there. Yeah. And the book kind of, the passage forwards. of time shows you a little bit more in the book than it does in the... Yeah. By summing it up at the beginning of the chapter, what happened basically on the journey or whatever. But in this one, it's like Catelyn left the Vale and turned. She literally went down the road. Nope, there's Rob right there down the road. Like, yeah. Perfect timing, I think. Oh, look, he's right there. It's like he was that close to the Vale. Yeah. Yeah. All right, in the next scene, we're at the Lannister camp this time. So Tyrion, Bronn, Shaga, and the rest of the Hill tribesmen arrive at the Lannister camp. To find Lord Tywin and his brother, Sir Kevin, planning to engage the Stark army, which is moving south from the Neck. Tywin shows no sign of relief that his son is alive. (laughs) Um, Tywin accepts the aid of the Hill tribesmen, but Shaga will only fight if Tyrion fights alongside them, um, which Tywin gladly welcomes, and it also... Terrifies Tyrion. There's no difference in Tywin's attitude in the book versus in the show. He did it perfectly. I love it. So the differences that we see, there's only two. So in the book, when Tyrion, Bronn, and the clansmen arrive at the Lannister camp, Tywin and Kevin are not in a tent, but they are rather in a common room at the inn at the crossroads. Oh, yeah. So they're actually not in the... Yeah, they're not even, like, in their camp. They're, like, at the inn. And And it's supposed to be a flashback, too, because that's where... He was taken. Yeah. So it, yeah, that's yeah. weird. I didn't even really realize I didn't either. Yep. Um, in the book, Shaga does not enter quietly to the room where the Lannisters are. Uh, a guard stops him, but Shaga forces his way inside, throws the guard across the room, and breaks his sword, startling Tyrion and Kevin. Bronn and the other clansmen follow him. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, he's a little bit more cordial this time. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Our next scene is in the north. Uh, the summary of the scene here is that later on, uh, Rob and his lords are debating the route of their march. Um, and we went through this this whole scene um, in great detail about how they're going to attack. Um, and they want to figure out whether they're going to attack Tywin's army or against Jamie's army that's besieging River Run. Uh, to get to Jamie, they need to cross the Green Fork of the Trident, and while crossing at the twins, um, well, sorry, at crossing at the twins, held by the notoriously prickly and easily offended Lord Walder Frey, who, which is the only way that they can cross, right? The, twins. the only way. Um, and a Lannister scout is captured, and Rob sends him back to warn Lord Tywin that twenty thousand northern soldiers are marching against him. Now we say there's no differences. I'd say the big difference that we're kind of seeing is that they don't really. 
lay out the battle plans. It's a very, it's, I feel like it's a very quick, quick, quick yeah. um, conversation in the TV show. Whereas in the book, we literally spent a whole half hour talking we, we about talk, the battle yeah, plans. Yeah, and they actually were talking about the differences of, oh, and they also, I mean, one of the big differences here too is they're talking about who's going to be, who's going to be in commanding the one that goes against Jamie and the West yes. one against Tywin. And yes. then you have Rob stepping up in his father's role and saying, I yeah. will take the smaller force Yeah, as the, yeah. And you don't see that. That's that, a good point because yeah. I feel like that was a big thing that we focused on yeah. in that chapter was the two different armies splitting up and yeah. one's going to go south. One's gonna or to Tywin. One's gonna go to Jaime. And split their and split the Tywin. Split the Lannister army in two. Yeah. Um. And yeah, we're we're seeing how Rob was going to take the smaller force and kind of being courageous in that sense. Yeah. We don't see that as no. him going. I'll take the men that are gonna be the scapegoats. I didn't even like realize that that's what they were doing until I read that chapter in the book. Yeah. But it, I will say it makes a lot more sense what they're doing in the book than, like, yeah. how it was portrayed in the TV show. They just, I would say the only like, the only major difference between the TV show and the book in this sense is just that there was just a little less... Battle planning. There's a little less information in that scene than there was in the book. Yeah. Okay, we're going to travel back to King's Landing for this next scene. So, later on, King Joffrey holds his first court session... In the Red Keep, uh, Janos Slint, commander of the City Watch, is made Lord of Harrenhal Ooh. as a reward for his loyal service. Mm-hmm. Cersei then dismisses, which I'm going to say that might be, isn't that going to be a problem because Tyrion promised the clansmen Harrenhal? No, he promised them the Vale. Oh, Vale, Okay. See, the Vale, River Run, and Harrenhal, Harrenhal, they're all, like, right there. Yeah, Harrenhal was where Tywin was earlier. Thank you. Yep. Okay, so, moving on. Cersei then dismisses Sir Barristan Selmy as head of the Kingsguard. Boo. I like you. Noting that the time has come for an honorable retirement. Barristan Selmy is confused and points out that the Kingsguard serves for life. But Joffrey angrily says that Selmy is too old and is not able to protect him like he was not able to protect his father, King Robert. So Selmy's disgrace is only compounded when he learns his post as Lord Commander is to be given to Jaime Lannister. Varys announces that Selmy is to be given a castle and land in recognition of his years of service. But the old knight, insulted by what he sees as being offered... A hall to die in and many men to bury me. He takes off his armor, throws his sword at Joffrey's feet, and storms out, stating that he could still kill all five of the other Kingsguard present with ease. So the two differences that we see in this scene, the first one is that after being dismissed, Sir Barristan throws his sword at Joffrey's feet and tells him to add it to the throne. He suggests that Stannis will soon arrive to dispose the boy king anyways. The second difference, um, after the after Barristan leaves, Joffrey decides that his last words were treasonous and orders the gold cloaks to go after Selmy and apprehended him. In the book, they do not um, send anyone after him when he storms out. Barristan has to kill two members of the City Watch and escapes from the city. In the series, he simply just leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think the book part would have been more realistic. They probably would have sent someone out after him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
in King's Landing, in the last, last scene, uh, just can continue on from the scene in the in the throne room here. Uh, Sansa begs Joffrey for her father's life, claiming that the medicine that he was taking, the milk of the poppy, for his injured leg, was responsible for his treasonous talk. And Joffrey says that her sweet words have moved him and will spare Eddard if he bends the knee to him and acknowledges him as king. Sansa says that he will. The big difference here is in the book, neither Cersei nor any other character calls Sansa Little Dove. That's Which we see throughout the episode, too. She says it when um, Sansa is writing the letter, yeah, too. Yeah, in, in the earlier scene, yep. Yeah, so... I'm actually kind of surprised, didn't... Uh, yeah, in the... We didn't see... Uh, Sandor didn't call it Little Dove. Mm-mm. But he does in the series later on, I think, too. I've, yeah, a few characters call yeah. her Little Dove, but Little that's Dove. never written in the book. Yep. So... But those are the differences. Yeah, those. So, out of ten, how would you rate this? Out of, out of ten, I'd say you know, we've had so many of these scenes that we said no differences, mm-hmm. and I don't see any important bits that were left out except for the fact that they're going to continue on with like the the Varys scene in the cell and stuff like that, and those are the important bits that I think that were left out. So I think um, I give it an eight. Yeah, I'm gonna say eight and a half. Eight and a half. Solid eight and a half. Yeah, I mean, it helps that it was, again, written by George R. R. Martin, so... That does help He wrote the book and he wrote the show, so... Yeah. All right. I did, yeah. No, this, I think this was a good episode. Yeah. Um, so I, I wish a few other things were added. But, like what? Uh, well, like we talked about with the sword, with Barrison throwing the sword, that would have been good. Mm-hmm. Um, he did throw the sword, he just didn't Serio say Carell that. actually killing those people. Yeah. You know, um... You know, some of that stuff, or I don't know how we, if we're depicting that Arya was an accident when she killed the the guy, I don't know. Yeah. I also wish that, like, when Varys went to go visit Rob, he had a better disguise on. Cause oh, the, yeah. In the book. <laughs> talking about this. He's literally just wearing a hood. Yeah. They're like, oh, in he's the book, In the book, it was like, oh, my gosh, he's so unrecognizable. <laughs> yeah. Like, he has, he put, like, stubble on his face. Right. But you know? Ned recognizes him, but no one else can. In the in the show, it's literally like, okay, Barry, she put a hood on. Right. And everyone's like, oh, who, I don't know who that is. Yeah. Exactly. Like so good at disguises. But it's Varys. He's the master of whispers. Like you, you would expect way more of him. No, just put a hood on, just and all of a sudden, a unrecognizable. On. Oh my god! Takes the hood off. Oh, Varys, it's Varys, you. Oh my gosh! I didn't even see you. <laughs> oh my god! You're so good at disguises. Um, yeah, I don't know. If there's anything else I wouldn't. No. I'm uh, unhappy about. I I like the addition of the scene. Um. When yeah. Drogo pulls this, when he kills that guy, I just yeah. like seeing Drogo's fierceness. <laughs> it's pretty awesome too. And the the fight scene in the show, he just he he actually takes his daggers out mm-hmm. and just drops them, and yeah. actually just completely disarms and kills him without even without any weapon. Yeah, he just is that fierce. He just dodges all of his blows and then just like slices his neck with his own blade and then pulls his tongue out like. It's crazy. Holy crap. We yeah. didn't realize how good the, the like the cow is. Like, mm-hmm. And last thing I want to say, I think they did a really good job of showing how um, Catelyn didn't really want to embarrass Rob in front of all the rest of the men. Yeah, they did a good they job. They did a that. really good job depicting that. Like, she, you can see it in her eyes that she really wanted to, like, run and hug him, but, like, waited until everyone was out of the tent to, like, go and hug him. And then yeah. finally they were both, like, <sighs> and, like, had a sigh of relief. And I guess the only... 
bugaboo I have is that entire scene that we keep bringing up that the entire that the show has completely left out the the boat and the harbor and mm-hmm. Roderick's where Roderick is mm-hmm. and you know and again the passage of time in the show is just so it seems so instantaneous in the show where it's not consistent book, right yeah in the book it seems more consistent so which I mean you can't it's hard to do that with a TV show yeah. but like I don't know you're setting up scenes that I understand that there's time differences between but literally like two scenes before that she was in the veil yeah so like yeah she exactly. just traveled like that I mean I know that the passage of time needs to be better but <laughs> that just bothered me no I agree <laughs> It was literally two scenes before. So you're going to say that that one scene happened and in that times period? I don't know. I get it. Game of Thrones has a passage of time thing that's that's different than most shows. So yeah. I understand. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right. So make sure you guys follow us on all of our social media. On Facebook, we have a page called Game of Wines, A Song of Ice and Fire podcast, and a group called Game of Wines podcast group. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Game of Wines 1. And on YouTube at Game of Wines Podcast. Um, Next episode, we are going to be discussing everything about the first Sword of Bravos, my friend Sirio Farrell. So. He's your friend? Yeah. Yeah. Old friends? We're on, like, first name basis, you know? Yeah, he didn't. You know he's not alive anymore, right? (laughs) Darn. (laughs) All right. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next week.